and welcome to Doing Disasters Differently, the podcast with Renee Hanvin, which is all about inspiring you to start thinking and doing disasters a little bit differently too. In this episode, I'm talking with Tracy Collier, the GM of Strategy and Programs for the Thriving Communities Partnership. And we're talking about building thriving communities. So a little bit about Tracy. Tracy is a social design and innovation specialist who is driven by the belief that everybody deserves an equitable system, adequate living standards, and to live free from discrimination. Her career has focused on uniting systems and organizations to work better for people, particularly those experiencing vulnerability or hardship. Tracy has over 10 years of experience managing and consulting on economic empowerment and poverty reduction programs across Australia, New Zealand, and Latin America. As the General Manager of Strategy and Programs at the Thriving Communities Partnership, Tracy is exploring how design methods can support better outcomes for people and organisations by challenging long-held assumptions and forging new ways of collaborative working to rebuild trust in communities across Australia. Now, I always like to start with where we met, and I have to say, Tracy and I couldn't actually quite remember. We really had to dig deep for this one. But we met through an introduction from a connection that we had in common. We thought we worked really well and there was a lot of alignment in what we were doing. And she's absolutely right. So Grace, thank you so much for the connection. Tracy, it's always so great to chat with you. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Renee. It's always lovely to chat to you too. Now let's start with, tell me about the Thriving Communities Partnership. What is it about and who's involved? So Thriving Communities Partnership, or TCP, as we call ourselves, so we're a not-for-profit, for-purpose organisation, and what we do is enable um, collaboration across multiple sectors, so business, academia, government, not-for-profit, and working with those with lived experience. And our goal is really to make sure that everybody in Australia has fair access to the modern essential services they need to thrive. So for that, we think about things like access to finances, to uh, telecommunications, to transport, to utilities. Um, and really, I guess our approach is really looking at, you know, those and understanding those complex factors that of vulnerability and using co-design and human-centred design um, and other community-led solutions. We look at how we can understand those barriers to access and really shift that framework to embed sustainable and effective change. So we work with over uh, 80 partner organisations and have over 300 other organisations who participate in our work across the country. So working really with organisations in that essential service ecosystem. So your banks, insurance, um, the water and energy companies, telecommunications, but also your financial counsellors, your ombudsman, community legal centres, for example. Um, and really what we think is, you know, Life is can sometimes be challenging, things can happen, um, but really what we think is that our essential service system really needs to wrap around the person to support them through those, you know, challenging times. And we see that sometimes, you know, that actually doesn't happen. We designed these systems many years ago before human-centred design was even a phrase, um, and we're really looking at how we can shift the system to focus on putting the person at the centre and having those wraparound services uh, to support them when they need. 
It's so true. And I mean, we'll get into um, kindly inviting me to be part of it in a minute as well. But I think so much at C2C is about, um, you know, we say people build resilience. And obviously, there's wonderful work that Professor Daniel Aldrich does, you know, people build resilience, not batteries or water bottles. And what I really like, and I guess, you know, I've been excited to be part of what you've been doing over the past couple of years, is that that's what it's about. It's about that people needs led, vulnerability led, and then how can we change and better the systems and processes to enable people to have those everyday essentials that so many, you know, are privileged to have or to take for granted. Now, you kindly invited me to be part of the working group meetings and the concept conversations for the disaster planning and recovery research project that you created, which is focused on um, Townsville, the community in Queensland. And it was a really great way, I thought, for multi-stakeholders, and you've mentioned um, many of them um, in the question just before, but multi-stakeholders across various groups to get together and share learnings and their thinking. So can you just share, I know, but share with my uh, listeners, what was the purpose of the project and then what was the outcome? Yeah, sure. Um, and I think, Renee, what you were saying before, I think we, we really connect your organisation and ours as to, you know, putting the human at the centre. So I think that's why we've We've connected right from the very beginning. Um, so I guess the purpose of the project uh, was to identify opportunities for tangible, actionable cross-industry and cross-sector improvements to support people impacted by disaster. So it was formed back in 2019 uh, following the monsoon event in North Queensland where our partners, so our utility providers, banks and insurers and community organisations really came together and acknowledged that you know, they could improve their own services, but that would really have a limited impact on community well-being. So they really needed to understand how all of the services that people needed for, you know, when a disaster happens and in disaster recovery, how they all align with each other and how can they improve that whole system. So we decided, decided to divide the project into two phases. The first one was uh, understanding the experience of residential individuals and small businesses. So understanding you know, the, the lead up to and up to a year from that disaster event and understand their experience. And then the second phase we went and we actually spoke to frontline service provider organisations to understand things from their perspective. Um, it really is, you know, the humans inside the organisations that provide the support. So we really wanted to understand what their perspective was as well. So what we produced from the report, uh, we've produced two reports with research findings. We've got two journey maps, one for that resident experience and one for the small business experience um, and also a systems map of you know all the organizations involved in that experience but what we also like to make sure we do at TCP is make sure I guess research doesn't sit on a shelf so we've run a number of workshops and ideation sessions and roundtables across the country where we've had over 280 people from across 120 organizations participate in that and what we've really been hearing is that a lot of those have taken those findings to look at their own organisations internally. And then in Townsville, we have two groups that are working really together across sectors to look at how can we communicate better with the community during recovery phases of disaster and how can we better communicate across organisations during that recovery, but also beforehand and during a disaster event to understand what services and support each other are offering. 
And it's so great, um, clearly, to have the small business um, stakeholder group included. And what I loved about being part of the workshops is that it was a really inclusive and supportive environment because so many of the organisations participating had a real, you know, differing um, levels of experience and some were obviously based in Townsville, which is absolutely fundamental. You need that real grassroots um, experience. But then also it was others who perhaps were, you know, experts in um, certain fields that could contribute. And I found the, you know, I learned something in every um, session that I was in and then hopefully I contributed as well. But you could kind of see the growth in the um, capability understanding and just, I guess, thinking about, you know, consequences and things like that, that if this is the way our organisation does it, wow, they're the impacts that we might not have considered that it's going to have. So let's look to how we can change our processes and systems and I guess, you know, unite in some way so that we're all doing it, um, you know, to, to, to better for everyone, I guess, is, is the outcome, which I thought was a really great um, a really great approach. So during the workshops, there were so many great case studies. And you mentioned before about lived experiences shared from the community of Townsville. So Tracy, what were some of your standout ones and how has or will this project bring positive change to those? The, the small business findings really for me were the standout of this research and particularly back in 2019 when I think a lot less focus was really given to the experience of small business. Um, I think now that COVID has uh, occurred and the impact on small business has been so great across the country, there's a lot more awareness. But uh, I think really what we were seeing out of some of those findings was that the employer is that really a pillar in the community and they're so integral to community recovery at that holistic, you know, really that macro level, but also at that employee to employee level. So, you know, one of the, the case studies, one of the um, small business owners that we spoke to, he really shared how he saw his role, you know, in providing young teenagers with their first job opportunity in training them in customer service and in general business administration. And he really had such care for his employees in everything that he did. And he really did everything that he could to make sure he could keep them on and employed during that recovery phase as well. And not only that, he also, you know, in terms of the community, was there, you know, as soon as he could, opening up his businesses again to have them up and running to provide food and coffee for people who are working on that cleanup. So he really was contributing to so many people's lives and supporting them. But at the same time, that was having an impact on his own family and his own mental health and, you know, his own financial health and, and all of those aspects. And I think, as I say, we've seen this growing interest and understanding from essential service providers of their small business customers over the past few years. And, you know, what, what it means when a small business maybe is struggling to pay a bill or is struggling to pay their finances and, you know, how that mix between, you know, the, the individual and the small business really blend. And I think a lot of businesses now, um, you know, the essential service businesses, they've got support programs for small businesses. So, you know, if a small business is struggling to pay a bill or is, is struggling with something that they've got somewhere to reach out to and now there's programs and different services to support that, you know, at a government community and at a business level, which I really think is really great. And, you know, that's something that we've heard this research has helped to build that understanding of the experience of small business owners during a disaster event. So that's been really positive. And, you know, for me, it definitely connects to my heart. I grew up in a a family where my parents owned and ran a small business. So I think the findings and the stories that we heard and that experience is really something that's quite close to me. So I think that's what stood out most. And I agree. I mean, as you know, I'm a small business owner um, as well. And I think you're so right. You've sort of hit 
the, the nail on the head in terms of what how we talk about um, small businesses in particular because they are so central to communities and so many of them put their employees before themselves because we, they don't want to let them down and they don't want to, you know, they know the potential impacts if they lose their jobs and then they're still trying to run a business to put, you know, food on the family and they're out there serving their community. Um, and I think it's really under-recognised and I guess um, what I, you know, what I love about that being one of your standout stories is that we do need to put more focus and spotlight on the role that small businesses play in communities. And I, without mentioning names, but there are, and I've seen some, um, you know, great um, evolutions, I guess, from um, major corporates and utility providers and other, you know, insurers and banks, et cetera, who have really taken the time to kind of look differently at the vulnerable community. And, um, you know, you could certainly put small business owners in that list these days as well, particularly with COVID impacts and that, you know, they are struggling to pay bills, as you say, and it's the, you know, everyday electricity and power and heat bills. And we know the consequences if you don't have a place to operate from or, you know, power that then can't access internet, et cetera, as well. So it's, I think it's really progressive and it's great to see the outcomes that the participating organisations are doing something about it which alludes to what you said before and is very much a focus for us about think differently and do differently. And I think, again, that's the great um, uh, uh, similarity between what you guys are doing um, and what we're doing too. So what's next for Thriving Communities Partnerships? Surely there's a bit more to be done. Um, there's always more to be done. Um, I think we definitely want to continue to share our research findings more broadly and working along those groups in, in Townsville to understand what they're learning and share that back at sort of a national level as well. Um, I think one of the things that I'm really excited about is at TCP, we have launched our One Stop One Story Hub project, which is in its pilot phase, but really it stems from that idea of what we hear when, when someone is struggling sort of financially, they've got financial difficulty, they have to contact each and every one of their essential service providers to get the support they need. And that means retelling your story multiple times. And that can be really re-traumatizing and exhausting. So if you're thinking, you know, someone who's experiencing family violence, if you're thinking someone who's experienced a disaster, you know, and having to ring a bank and then ring a utility provider and then ring everybody else to retell that, it's just, it can be exhausting. So the One Stop One Story Hub is a digital tool where people can tell their story once and get connected to all of the support that they need. So it's currently is in pilot phase. So that means it's actually an organization to organization referral tool. And we have five corporate and seven community organizations involved. Um, and it's available for people who've been impacted by family violence. But as I was mentioning, you know, we really see that there's an applicability to this beyond that, and particularly in a disaster situation. So we hope we can expand the access to the One Stop One Story Hub more broadly to um, disaster situations in the future. Again, another great example of doing something about it. And I mean, you know, we know the stats that disasters um, uh, impact domestic violence and, and many other initiatives as well. So there is definitely a direct connection there. But again, what a great simple idea that puts the customer first or the end user first about helping them just to tell one story. And that's, we heard exactly the same thing from businesses when we were um, connecting with them after the bushfires and even more recently, you know, in the COVID impacts that they're just, you know, they just don't have the energy anymore to retell the story. Um, and quite frankly, they're, you know, it's really frustrating that people are not listening or that people are not sharing and that they have to keep going through that process. So excellent. I look forward to hearing how it goes after the pilot. And um, yeah, again, a lot of synergy around how we can create end user um, tools to help people to get the help that they need. 
Now, my final question is always the same and I love people's um, responses to this. So I'm really excited to hear yours too, Tracy. What would be the two things that you'd like to be done differently in the disaster space? Um, look, I think there's been a lot of progress uh, that's happening. So I guess my two things are already happening, but things that I would love to see more of. And the first one is, I think it's also because of the organisation I work for, is more cross-sector collaboration. So we're really seeing more of it, but I just think there's so many complex challenges and unintended consequences that happen in a disaster space. Like, you know, accommodation availability where organisations fly staff in to support the response, but that means, you know, people who've lost their homes can't find accommodation and it impacts on rental affordability issues there's things like that where I just think if we can come together and have this whole collective conversation where everyone brings their different perspective um, we'll really actually be able to to really address some of those so I would love to see see more of that um, alongside I guess that consistency of the support that organizations um, are providing to make it easier for someone trying to navigate their own experience um, I think you know to your point before that there's Really, we at TCP look at it that people, you know, aren't vulnerable, they're experiencing vulnerability and a disaster event is a moment where, you know, you might have lost your home, you might not, you know, you might be impacted with, um, I guess, all the emotional overwhelm of it all of wondering how your friends and family are of, you know, how your house is, how your business is, and to navigate, you know, that alongside with, you know, your finances, with your reconnecting electricity, I just really think that that is such a moment where people are experiencing vulnerability through no fault of their own. And we really think that organisations should be making it as simple as possible for people to connect in. So I think more of that consistency across organisations of that support would really make a difference. Well, nothing more for me to add, because again, another synergy in the sense of exactly, you know, what we're focusing on too. And you're so correct. It needs to be multi-stakeholder um, shared responsibility and outcome focused. I think there's too much focus on outputs, but really we need to be focusing on outcomes, which is exactly what uh, the TCP is doing. And again, why I think, you know, hopefully we'll get to do lots more collaborations in the future as well. So a big thank you to Tracy Collier, the GM of Strategy and Programs for the Thriving Communities Partnership. We'll have lots of links in the um, uh, website. So please check out the research report and the One Stop, One Story Hub uh, we've been talking about building thriving communities. Tracy, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Renee. That's the end of this episode of Doing Disasters Differently, the podcast, which I hope you found to be relevant, informative, and inspiring. If you're interested in participating in the conversation or to connect with me personally, please visit corporate2community.com. Until the next episode, stay safe and remember we all have a role to play in thinking differently and doing differently before, during and after disasters. Mm-hmm.